this isn't brain surgery with Doc Snipes. This podcast was created to provide you the information and tools Doc Snipes gives her clients so that you too can start living happier. Our website, DocSnipes.com, has even more resources, videos, and handouts, and even interactive sessions with Doc Snipes to help you apply what you learn. Go to DocSnipes.com to learn more. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation of Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes, Practical Tools to Improve Your Mood and Quality of Life. Today, we're going to be talking about something near and dear to my heart, triggers and cravings. In this first segment, we're going to basically define a trigger and look at the function of triggers because everything that happens, everything that we do, there's a purpose for it. And so we need to understand that purpose in order to address triggers and cravings. So what is a trigger? It's a physical or cognitive stimulus. What does that mean? It means it's something either in your environment that you can see, hear, touch, smell, or it's something that you think. You know, sometimes you can have a memory that occurs to you that may make you feel, um, that may trigger your depression. Um, sometimes you can have other thoughts that, um, for example, if you have a lot of cognitive distortions, that is, you have a lot of all or nothing thinking, then when something happens, you can think that, you know, everything always ends up badly. And that's a cognitive stimulus. That's a cognitive trigger for getting depressed or anxious or feeling hopeless and helpless. So triggers are basically, think about the trigger on a gun, anything that sets off some sort of reaction in you. And generally, there are two reasons we have a trigger. It's either to increase pleasure, do something again, because it was really, really fun, or avoid pain. So we're trying to get away from it. We want to survive, and our body is programmed to help us do that. It's important to understand that the same trigger can be positive or negative depending on the frequency of the reinforcement or punishment and the intensity of the reinforcement or punishment. Um, you know, I'll give you an example of spicy food. When my daughter was five, she wanted to go to Moe's for uh, for her birthday lunch. So we went there and she ended up getting something that was really, really spicy, threw up all over the table, mortified she was. Um, so at this point, anytime she encounters something that's spicy or thinks about eating spicy food, her stomach says, no, we're not going to do that. So she didn't encounter a negative stimulus multiple times, but once was enough. Once was enough to say, you know, I don't want to do that again. Um, the frequency can also happen. You know, if sometimes you're eating, like um, we have chickens, and I eat eggs all the time. Love eggs. Every once in a while, I'll get an egg that probably was not totally fresh. Um, so my stomach will get a little bit upset. I've got a cast iron stomach, so I don't worry about it too much. But, um, you know, because every once in a while my stomach will get upset when I eat eggs, it doesn't really bother me because the other 50 times I ate them, I was just fine. But if the negative consequence happens more frequently than the positive one, um, it's probably going to provoke a negative response. So let's look at three different scenarios here. Phone calls. I hate phone calls. I don't know what, well, I do know why, uh, but I have an aversion to my phone ringing. Now, somebody who has had positive experiences with the phone can be excited when the phone rings because it's somebody calling with good news or somebody calling to say hi, express caring, maybe invite you to go out, do something positive. And that's cool. So when the phone rings, they're like, score. 
for me, not so much. Um, when the phone rings, it can be somebody calling with bad news. Um, my family's not touchy-feely, huggy, real close. Um, so whenever anybody calls, it usually means that somebody's either dead or dying. And that's not necessarily what you want to hear. Um, they can call with stressful content. Uh, so you want to be aware of what exactly is it, but also know that what is an unpleasant stimulus for one person may not be for another person. Children playing is another example. Um, for some of us, seeing children playing, it reminds us of our own kids playing, and it kind of brings a smile to our face, and that's just all wonderful. But I've worked with parents who have lost their children to death or to Department of Children and Families, and they have had their parental rights terminated. So seeing kids and hearing kids play triggers a feeling of sadness and guilt in them, and, you know, it's something they may avoid. Fireplace smoke is another example. I love the smell of fireplace smoke. That's my first cue that it's probably starting to get to be fall outside. Um, and that reminds me of good times because fall is my favorite season. My stepfather, on the other hand, lost his family in a house fire. So when he smells smoke, when he smells wood burning, it triggers other memories for him and it triggers a very unpleasant mood response again just be sensitive to the fact that what's good for you may not be good for somebody else and be uh, cognizant of that and aware of what triggers both your positive and negative mood states because we want to increase the positive something makes you happy do that more put more triggers in your environment for that so when you're working with triggers and trying to deal with them, you can either have a competing response. You can't be miserable and happy at the same time. So if you're in a really bad mood and you start watching funny cat videos or whatever it is that makes you laugh hysterically, that's going to compete. So you want to put something in there that competes with your negative mood or your desire to go out and engage in escape or addictive behaviors. And we're going to talk more about improve and accepts later on. Or you can eliminate or counter-condition the trigger. I have this completely irrational fear of bridges. And I know it. I know it's irrational. Um, when I was in third grade, my grandfather used to pick me up from school. And he didn't mean any harm by it. You know, he was the sweetest guy. But we were sitting on one of those bridges in Florida that opens up to let the ships go through. And we were stuck in traffic. And we were sitting on the metal grate part of it. And he looks at his watch and he goes, uh-oh. And I'm like, what, Grandpa? And he goes, it's 2.59. At 3 o'clock, the bridge opens, and we're going to be stuck on it. And my eyes got all big. And ever since then, I've had this terrible fear of bridges opening and just kind of swallowing all the cars on it. Now, logically, I know that doesn't happen. But there's a little part in the back of my mind that is triggered every time I hear, every time I cross a bridge or see a bridge. You know, I'm just like, ugh. A little bit of a scary thing. Not so much. So counter-conditioning, uh, well, eliminating the trigger means never crossing bridges. And, you know, bridges are everywhere. That's not really possible. Counter-conditioning, it means going through the situation, experiencing it, and getting out okay. So now, every time I go over, the, over bridges, I'm like, okay, I made it over the bridge. Wasn't that big of a deal. So now I've gone over hundreds of bridges 
so they aren't nearly as scary to me because I know that it's not a big deal and that irrational fear has less of a loud voice going this is dangerous um, and I know and can kind of put it in its place if you will so counter conditioning is sort of like what they would call exposure therapy another example of that is when people are afraid of spiders they start out by thinking about touching a spider and they may get like really freaked out and they learn how to calm down once they're good with that and they can think about a spider with not getting up without getting upset then they move on to looking at a spider in a terrarium you know can't get to them but they're still looking at it and maybe touching the glass calm down so that doesn't bother them anymore eventually through baby steps they get to the point where they can handle a non-venomous spider like a little jumping spider and it doesn't bother them at all and that's kind of what we're going to talk about throughout this presentation how can you deal with your triggers in a way that doesn't impair your quality of life and preferably enhances it so one of the things that you can do is what I call continue the chain something triggers a negative response so something triggers depression holidays are coming up and you keep seeing those commercials for holidays and all the happy families and you grew up in a family that was not happy so it triggers depression or it reminds you that you know your grandma Betty's not going to be there anymore that's natural that's a reaction that's kind of set up right now so what you can do is put in another trigger so when I get depressed what do I do instead of being stuck at depression put in another trigger so depression actually triggers you to go use some of your new coping skills and it takes a while to figure out what to do to remind yourself that all right when I'm feeling this way I need to but it's a process the other thing you can do is like we talked about a few minutes ago eliminate the trigger so if for example one of the um, things that triggers your bad mood triggers your anxiety your depression is a fear of abandonment then working on your self-esteem so you don't need other people to tell you you're all that in a bag of chips and dealing with whatever abandonment issues you have from you know childhood can help you so that doesn't bother you anymore so you eliminate the low self-esteem and deal with the abandonment triggers then you won't have that issue as much cognitive distortions are the same way if you eliminate all or none thinking if you learn how to hear when you're doing when you're saying something like everybody always and catch yourself so you can change that eventually you won't even use that statement anymore because you will be used to using healthier more moderate phrases it takes time if you've been thinking that way for 20 years don't expect it to change in a month it takes time and it takes practice but you will change and you can also eliminate negative aspects of the trigger like I told you um, with the bridge thinking about go how many times I've gone over a bridge successfully with no problem enhances my sense of empowerment and confidence that there's going to be no problem um, my dog Kenny passed away and Facebook actually sent me one of those you know five years ago memories and Kenny was in it and you know normally I would get really sad but instead of going down that sad path I was like no you know what I'm gonna think about all the wonderful things that Kenny brought to my life and you know we kind of laughed about some Kenny stories and moved on from there the same thing can be true about sources of resentment 
you can either dwell on that resentment and go, I really hate this person for doing this, or you can use it as a source of determination. So instead of eating you up inside, you can use it to fuel you and motivate you to do something else and do something more healthy and productive. Unconditioned triggers. There's two kinds, conditioned and unconditioned. Unconditioned triggers generally revolve around survival. A sight trigger, a visual trigger that's unconditioned would be like the bright sun. You look up at the sun, what happens? Well, you squint. It helps you avoid burning your corneas. Kind of a good thing there. Or retinas or whatever. Um, if something's headed towards your face, whether it's a ball or somebody's fist, what do you do? Natural reaction is to cover your face. Um, when a child is unable to access their caregiver, an infant, think about the infant standing in, in their crib. The infant is dependent on the caregiver for survival. So if they can't see that person, they start freaking out and get really upset. So, which is another reason why infants can get freaked out in the dark, too, if they can't see, feel, or smell their, their caregiver. It's a natural reaction given that state. Um, you know, as the infant grows and becomes more autonomous, it's not as big of a deal if they can't see mom. You know, I'm almost 50 years old. If I can't see my mother in the same room, it's not a big deal. I think I got this. But as a child, it's crucial for survival. So it's going to trigger a fear reaction. Sounds, loud noises, startle infants. You know, you can watch any experiment, which they used to do, to see what startled an infant. And loud noises did it every time because it makes the infant not be able to predict their environment. Whereas on the positive side, they found that when you expose an infant or even puppies, puppies and kittens and those little tiny things, to the sound of a heartbeat, it's calming. When my son was in the NICU, we had one of those little teddy bears that had the um, reproduction of the maternal heartbeat that would stay in the incubator with him. And, you know, theoretically, it helped keep him calmer than other babies who didn't have it. I mean, he seemed pretty calm, so I don't know if it was the heartbeat or not. But research has indicated that that probably helped. Smells can be the same way. Pleasant smells, you want to do that again. We smell food, we're like, food keeps us going, let's eat it. Um, noxious smells, like bleach, uh, tend to make us not want to get near them because bleach is not safe, especially in enclosed environments. Uh, so your, your smell triggers, your unconditioned triggers, can also help you move towards things that help survival and stay away from things that might hurt you. Touch, triggers, Painful touches, you know, something happens, you touch a hot stove or you bang your toe into the, uh, uh, into the coffee table, you know, that's really painful. And you're probably going to remember not to do that again. So when you walk near a stove, you're not going to just randomly put your hand on it. Um, and when you, you're going to give the coffee table a wider berth or heaven forbid, turn on the light in the middle of the night to get to the kitchen to get your water. So you learn things from these. It triggers you to do something different, but it also triggers the memory. You know, if I've bumped my toe the night before, when I get up the next night to get a drink of water, I'm going to remember, you know, the last time it was dark and I went into the living room, it was really unpleasant. So let me turn on the light this time. Hugs are also an unconditioned trigger. Co human contact, 
um, or contact, they've actually found it works with animals too, when you're petting an animal, releases oxytocin. So there are actual physiological responses to the trigger of touching another living being. Taste, pleasant tastes, you're going to eat more of it. Um, and in theory, the high carbohydrate, high fat foods that our ancestors used for um, survival are going to taste more rewarding. It also depends on what your palate has gotten accustomed to. Noxious taste, like a rotten egg, you're not going to eat again. And you can even see this in nature. Um, we have donkeys, and there are certain things that they shouldn't eat, and they'll go and they'll sniff it and they'll walk away because it's like, no, this isn't something that's going to be good for me. But there are other things they'll go that they've never been exposed to before, and they'll sniff and they may or may not eat it. So it's important to understand that our brain makes us, makes things that are beneficial to our survival appealing and things that are harmful to us, not so appealing. So if something is not so appealing, you might want to take a look at it and go, is this helping my survival? Now, there are things that are not so appealing that are helpful to us that we've just got to work around, such as, you know, getting our annual vaccinations or, you know, going to the dentist or whatever. But, you know, in large part, just look at it in terms of the helpful or hurtful lens. Condition triggers are things that in themselves have no meaning to the person until they're associated with something positive or negative. So an infant, when they see a bottle for the first time, they have no clue what that is. They're just like, uh, not sure what to do with it. As soon as they get it in their mouth and figure out how to suck on it and it gives them food, they quickly understand that a bottle means I'm going to get fed. So score. Um, snow, like I talked about before, snow doesn't mean anything to anybody. If an infant or a dog sees snow, they're just like, what's that? Once you experience it, you will either have a positive association with it because it's fun to play in or a negative association with it because you have to shovel it off your roof. That's up to you. Um, so condition triggers are things that help us um, or that are in our environment that remind us of positive or negative experiences. Sound, things that you hear, different types of music, or if you're listening and you hear things on the TV, they can make you happy or they can make you sad. Sirens are kind of the same way. For some people, they hear sirens and it provokes anxiety. Um, other people hear sirens and it's like, whatever, sirens are going down the, going down the road. Um, so you can go through each one of these things, but it's important to remember that triggers are not just things you see. They're people, places, things, times, and thoughts. So, you know, I say times because anniversaries, holidays, even times of day can be triggers for different moods. Um, if you don't like your job then when you get up in the morning, that might be a trigger for being in a bad mood. On the other hand, if you love your job, you get up in the morning and you're like, woohoo, get to go to work today. Um, so trying to figure out what times of day are optimal for you and the ones that aren't, how do you improve that? I know for me, 1.30 to 3 o'clock, I hit this lull. And I'm not necessarily in a bad mood. I'm just kind of done. Figuring out how to trigger energy and happiness is important in order to keep me going through the day. And most people have a lull about that time. Um, so what is it that you can do that will help keep you in a better mood for the rest of the day and stay productive?
So what are your triggers? And this is something you've just got to spend some time thinking about. I suggest getting a spiral notebook and on each page, put a different emotion, anger, anxiety, depression, and happiness, and start just listing the things that trigger that emotion in you. And then on the next two pages, identify things that trigger you to use unhelpful escape or coping strategies, whether that's yelling and putting your fist through the wall or drinking or gambling or whatever it is. Because it's important to understand what triggers those behaviors. Many times, a negative feeling state, depression, anxiety, or anger, will trigger those. But sometimes you may be feeling just fine, and all of a sudden you see something, you know, you see your dealer coming down, or you drive by a casino, um, or if you're addicted to internet pornography, you get online, and something seemingly innocuous will trigger the thought of, I want to engage in that behavior because it produces pleasure. So you need to make a list of all those things that, while they may produce pleasure or reduce pain, reduce anger, in the moment, in the long term, they're not helpful to you. And then on the final page, you want to put in and identify triggers to help you remember to use your new skills. Mindfulness, distress tolerance, all the things that we've talked about in other classes and we're going to continue to talk about. Um, so what is it that you can do to remind yourself to practice the pause when you get upset, for example? Um, what is it that you can do to remind yourself to, to have some positive thoughts in the morning and try to find three good things about the day before you leave the house? Whether it's putting a note on your bathroom mirror or sending yourself a text message in the morning, what is it that you can do to prompt yourself to use your new, healthier stronger coping skills so triggers are stimuli or things in the environment or in your own head that prompt you to do something or react in a certain way can be good can be bad we want to increase the good decrease the bad some triggers are there from birth like when you get cold you shiver you know that's just the way you're wired it's a natural reaction some things become triggers because they remind you of something that either caused pleasure or caused pain and, you know, you're going to do things that cause pleasure and avoid things that cause pain. Recovery involves eliminating reconditioning, like the spider, or developing strategies to deal with the unpleasant triggers or the negative triggers. And increase and incorporate triggers for positive moods and for using new skills. So you don't want to just have triggers to remind you to practice the pause and use new skills. But have triggers in there that remind you about how awesome the day is and how awesome you are. Um, have pictures of your kids or your dogs or whatever it is on your phone so every time you open it up, you smile. This will help decrease the negative moods and increase the positives. The ability to launch DocSnipes.com and the Happiness Podcast is in large part due to the sponsorship from our sister site, AllCEUs.com, providing continuing education and pre-certification training to addiction and mental health counselors around the globe since 2006. If you are a mental health counselor or addictions counselor needing CEUs, or if you want to become an addictions counselor, peer specialist, recovery residence administrator, or certified recovery coach, please visit AllCEUs.com. Unlimited CEUs starting at $59 and specialty certificate tracks starting at $89. Go to allceus.com to learn more. 
Thanks for tuning into Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes. Our mission is to make practical tools for living the happiest life affordable and accessible to everyone. We record the podcast during a Facebook Live broadcast each week. Join us free at docsnipes.com slash Facebook or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. And remember, docsnipes.com has even more resources, members-only videos, handouts, and workbooks to help you apply what you learn. If you like this podcast and want to support the work we are doing, for as little as $3.99 per month, you can become a supporter at docsnipes.com slash join. Again, thank you for joining us and let us know how we can help you.